Well, Proverbs is where we're at tonight. Let's pray, and then we will deal with, walk through, walk through this book. Lord, thank you again for the privilege to be with your people and to study your word and to think deeply upon it. We pray that we would have a better grasp of your word, uh, especially this wisdom literature and this poetry, and that we would uh, think deeply upon the scriptures, as I think that's one of the things we're, we're, we're exhorted to do here in the Proverbs. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are uh, continuing to make our way through this final section of the Old Testament, the writings, and we're in this wisdom literature section now, which Job introduced us to last week. And do you remember uh, what we said wisdom literature is all about? It is helping us to master the world is one of the phrases that Stephen Dempster used, right? That wisdom has uh, that idea of mastering the world or skill, living skillfully in God's world. Originally, that language of wisdom is first seen in term in relationship to people who were skilled at building and things like that, right? Uh, or were skilled at music, right? So the sense of wisdom, but they, had, they were masters of their craft, so when we think about wisdom literature, it's how do we live masterfully in God's world? And so in Job, it's living, uh, we could say masterfully uh, in a world where suffering exists and questions of why does this happen? You know, we, we learn how to respond properly to it. Um, it also has at its aim uh, teaching us how to live well. So that'd be another facet of the wisdom literature. This is how you can live well, how you can flourish in a fallen world, okay? And again, remember also the whole of the writings are essentially the songs, the poems, the literature of the faithful remnant. These are the ones that in all the, the you know, the 7,000 have not bowed the knee to the Baal, not bowed the knee to Baal. These are the ones that are faithfully serving Yahweh. So the wisdom literature is helping us live well and master the world, okay? So the audience of the book of Proverbs is a book, it's a book written to young people. Um, sons are the, the primary writer because this is Solomon writing to his, his sons. So it is a book geared towards younger people uh, at a key transitional period of their life. So a couple of passages, chapter one, verses two through four. Uh, this is what it is doing to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Okay, so that's kind of its main audience. Then look at chapter 1, verse 8. Hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. So 16 times in the first seven chapters, we're going to see this usage of that phrase, my son. Right, uh, twenty-four times total in the book is my son addressed. So, gives us an idea. This is a, a younger uh, person, probably uh, high school to college age. This is a transitional period in their life. And now, and let's think together on this, those of us, because we've all gone through this period. Why is that such an important period? And why is uh, a father investing in his son, teaching him wisdom? Why is that so important? You're going to be on your own. You think you've already got it figured out, <laughs> right? right? Um, yeah, that, that's exactly it. You're, you're transitioning from childhood to adulthood, and there are things that you need to, to, to learn. You're, at, this, at that stage of life, you're making uh, big decisions that can really affect the rest of your life. 
And so you need wisdom to make the right kinds of decision. And, and the reality is, as youth, they're all fools, right? Like they're all fools in varying degrees, and so they need wisdom uh, to know what to do. Um, I, so I, I don't know how many times we think about when we're disciplining our children or whatever, the proverb, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, right? And that's, but the rod of correction drives it far from them. Um, so like if you watch our two-year-old son, right? That's, that's exactly it. He's a fool. The most basic things, if we think about it, the most basic things to us now, we had to learn, right? As, as we grew, grew up, okay? Um, now, everyone will grow in wisdom as they get older, but not everybody has the kind of wisdom that Proverbs describes, right? Uh, and, and we see this, this happening throughout life. True wisdom that leads to flourishing and success in life is not just learned through the school of hard knocks, plugging a saw in and learning things like that. Um, it, it doesn't come just through experiencing new things, but rather it is sought uh, and found in God, who is the giver of all wisdom, right? So that's why the, pro- the writer of Proverbs is going to say, the beginning of wisdom is this, fear the Lord, right? That's where true wisdom and knowledge is found in the Lord. So Proverbs 4, verse 7, the beginning of this is get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. So here, what the teacher is doing, he is calling young people to radically reorient their lives so that pursuing wisdom becomes the motivating factor for life. No, right. Yeah. That's true, yeah. Because there's absolutely no reason why we have to do that. Yeah. Because God has told us he will provide a way of escape from every temptation. Sure, yeah. And yet even in the church at times, we make that statement, sometimes you just have to learn hard. Mm-hmm. That's not God's way. Yeah. Yeah, no, there is, a, there is a way of wisdom. There is a path of wisdom. As we see, I think there's, a, there's a, a teaching and a tradition of wisdom that is handed down that's based on God's word, and that is the path to follow. When we stray from that, that's where disaster always, always ensues, okay? So, there's a reference yeah. in here somewhere about pay attention to the gray hairs. Yeah, exactly, yes. They've been there a while. They've been there a while, exactly. So, so wisdom, all, and at the same time, this is, you just let me down a of, of rabbit trail, right? But also isn't it interesting at the end, in, end of Job when uh, Elihu stands up and says, I, wisdom is not found with the aged, right? So he, here though, not everybody is equally wise. And Elihu knows these guys aren't wise because they didn't know the one true God. Um, so, but ultimately wisdom is, is found with the Lord. Okay, so Proverbs is, is calling the, the young people to radically reorient their lives so that pursuing wisdom becomes the motivating factor for life. And again, if you think about Think about a high school student or a college student, your average one. Is their goal pursuing wisdom? No. <laughs> it's pursuing stupidity, right? It's pursuing fun. It's pursuing fleeting things. Uh, that your, your, your mind only thinks about the next 10 minutes or till the next meal or something like that, right? You're, you're not thinking long-term. You're not pursuing wisdom. Um, Daniel Estes said this, that our attitudes and actions are propelling either you in the direction of virtue and maturity or towards vice and immaturity, right? And so again, think about that in the context of a young person, okay? Uh, Key verses, of course, especially found in the first nine chapters, Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
And then chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Okay? And really, those two verses sum up the key themes in the book. And that would be that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and knowledge. So if you want wisdom and knowledge, you can't have those things without fearing the Lord. And we'll talk about what that means in just a minute. And then the second aspect, what we see in chapter 1, verse 7, is that fools despise that wisdom instruction, wisdom and instruction that flows from God. They don't see any necessity for it. That's, they are, they are few fools. And then third is that idea of insight. Uh, and insight is the ability to make a wise decision. It's the practical outworkings of learned wisdom, and that's from the Lord as well. Okay, so it's the ability to weigh, weigh things. It's, it's the practical application, I think we could say, of wisdom. Okay, let's talk about what a proverb is. Um, this definition, again, from Daniel Estes, I think in your notes you have a lot of quotes from him in this first part here. Uh, he had some really good short um, quotes, but he just says this, a proverb is a brief maxim that condenses a lot of experience into a highly memorable saying. So a succinct saying would be a maxim, right? Something that is short, pithy, uh, but it's phrased in such a way that's easy to be recalled, right? Um, so we could do a little quiz, like, or, or can you think of proverbs that we use in our everyday vernacular? An apple, a, right, that, that's a short pithy, memorable saying that has some general truth to it, but not actual like specific truth. Because I eat an apple almost every day, but I, I haven't actually gone to the doctor very much. So maybe that's true. Probably catch up. Once you get old, right? Exactly. Or, oh my word. Oh, oh, go home. Or like actions speak louder than words, right? A picture is worth a thousand words. Um, when the tough gets going, the going, no, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. That one's not very memorable, right? Or pithy because I, I goobered it up. <laughs> I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> there you go. I don't, that is, I'm not sure what, uh, usage I would apply that proverb in, but it's, it's a good one. Um, you could also define a proverb as this way. It's a general principle about life written in such a way so that it sticks with the hearer, right? General proverb about life written in such a way so that it sticks with the hearer. At the same time, we also, especially in the book of Proverbs, because I think this is where uh, people can really get wrong in their application and interpretation of Scripture, uh, is when it comes to the Proverbs and say, well, this it says it here, therefore this should apply in this way. And it just doesn't always happen, okay? So a proverb is, is important to understand what it is and what is, it is not, okay? So understand that a proverb is not a promise or a guarantee. It is a general principle about life. General principle about life. So uh, there, this is important when you come to passages like Proverbs fifteen six. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked, does that mean that the righteous will always be wealthy and the wicked poor? No. Right, but it could be interpreted that way. Or like even Job talked about this last time, right? Because his friends were trying to apply this sort of, or, uh, sort of thing, okay? Um, 
And so just talking about flourishing in life, wealth, it's just not generally true that the righteous will necessarily flourish and the, the wicked will suffer. Oftentimes it's the other way around. It seems like the unrighteous are flourishing uh, while the, the, the righteous are suffering. Or what about Proverbs uh, 18.22? He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Um, does this mean then that the person that never marries won't find favor from the Lord? No, right? But, or that somebody, <laughs> I wasn't taking it in that direction. <laughs> no, that's not where I was taking it. No, no, no. That's, <laughs> we're not, we're not applying that in this way. This, that, yeah. Uh, but no, if you don't find a spouse, it doesn't mean that you haven't obtained favor from the Lord. But if you do find a good spouse, there's a, there's a blessing in that that comes from, from the Lord. It's a general principle that those who marry find a good thing and know through this good gift the pleasure and favor of the Lord. Right? In God's design, what works as it should. Uh, Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Is that generally true? Right, but not specifically always true because how many of us know or have experienced, like, sought to do this as the best we could and our children aren't walking with the Lord, right? Well, people say, you know, oh, they only kept them in church. Right. And that, that really isn't true. It isn't true, right. They don't know for sure their, their state, their spiritual state. Right. And so we have a responsibility as parents to train up our child and ultimately, they're accountable to God for, for, their, for, their, for their choices. The Lord often, and you think about this, the Lord uses, uh, I think, good parenting and discipline and correction. This is not an excuse to not train up your child because the Lord used, I think in my life, the Lord used my parents and good parenting to, by God's grace, bring me to where he's at. The Lord has also used really bad parenting and unsaved parents, right, to draw uh, children to himself, Okay. So we want to heed these Proverbs, but we understand that the outcome isn't always guaranteed as we want, right? They're general principles. However, there are also Proverbs that are absolutes. They are always true. And those primarily relate to the character of God and the ends of the righteous and the wicked, right? So Proverbs eleven twenty, those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. That's always true. Right? If, you're, if you belong to the Lord, you're his delight. If you don't, your ways are an abomination. Uh, Proverbs 21.30, no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. That is always true, never changing. Proverbs 28.14, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Right? You can't harden your heart against the Lord and not expect to experience wrath and judgment for that. Okay, let's talk about some key terms in the book. So, of course, the first one would be wisdom. Uh, really the subject of the book in this entire genre. But we need to talk about what is it and why is it to be sought after. So, again, this is from Daniel Estes. He says, wisdom refers to skill in living within the moral order of Yahweh's world. Right? So you understand that, that God is the creator ruler. This is how he has ordained and orchestrated things to be. And so wisdom is living according to that design, the skill to live in Yahweh's world. It's not, this is important, it's not intellectual, it's moral, right? A wise person, living wisely is living morally, living according to God's rule and design. Um, 
wisdom, then it would be a practical moral living. It is knowledge and action combined. It is the ability to apply the right moral knowledge in the right way at the right time. Um, I think it's in knowing God. If anybody's read J.I. Packer's Knowing Book God, he has a section in there where he's talking about wisdom. And he, he made, the, and I thought this was a helpful illustration. He said, if you were to go into a, like a subway, like the tube in London, and you go into their control room, you would see a map with all the routes of the trains, and you'd see where they're going, where this one stopped, and what's ahead of this one, and things like that. And he said, oftentimes we think of wisdom as that way. It's like foresight, foreknowledge, the ability to see everything coming. And he said, that's not really a good way to think about wisdom. He said, think of wisdom more as driving a car, right? Can you see everything that's down the road? No, but wisdom helps you respond to the things that come upon you. So you have one curve in front of you. Okay, well, I need to turn for that curve, right? I apply it there. Okay, here comes a, here comes a car into my lane. I got to brake or do whatever it is. So wisdom helps me not in the, like I can see into the future, but I can respond rightly to the situations that are right in front of me in a way that, that, pleases, that pleases the Lord, okay? So that is, that is wisdom, and his skill in living within the moral order of Yahweh's world, the ability to respond properly and rightly to situations as they arise. Okay? The second one would be folly, right? So this is the flip side of wisdom. Folly or foolishness. Uh, these things are often contrasted, wisdom and folly, or wisdom, the wise and the fool. Daniel Estes again says, folly is rooted in an inability or an unwillingness to conform to Yahweh's order. So here, this I think is a, when you think about Romans 1, right? And when he's describing the, those who are sinning in a way that is opposed to the natural design, right? That's folly, right? Here is God's order, his design. And even for people that are not Christians, that live according to that design, there's just natural blessing that comes from it. But when you transgress that and go against it, that's folly and foolishness, and there are consequences that come from, from that. Um, a foolish person is also one who thinks that wisdom resides with them, right? They think they've got it figured out, and they don't need anybody else's wisdom, right? I am my own source of truth. That's a fool. That's, that's folly, and it always has disastrous consequences because, as the writer of Proverbs will say, a fool is always right in their own eyes, Right? You can't correct them. They won't receive uh, instruction. Again, Daniel Estes said, folly at its heart is the arrogant pursuit of freedom or autonomy. When humans declare their independence from Yahweh's authority, at the heart of folly is moral relativism that exalts personal freedom above living according to the objective moral standard of Yahweh embodied in his character and expressed in his word. Okay? That moral relativism is morality is whatever I determine it to be. Okay? And so that is, uh, there is no actual standard of truth, no right and wrong. Uh, I am my own uh, decider. That, that language of speak your truth. You don't have your truth. There's one truth, and that's it. Um, there's also, in the, in the book, we'll see personifications of wisdom and folly. They're portrayed as women, right? So you'll have Lady Wisdom, and then we'll call her Madam or uh, Madam Folly, right? And it is interesting, uh, somebody I was reading is pointing out that the personifications of wisdom in this book are presented as women, and perhaps the reason is that because the main audience is young men. Well, what are young men attracted to? 
women, right? So here's two like beautiful women in a sense, but one, uh, beauty's only skin deep, right? She's gonna lead you down to the house of shale. She's an adulteress, she's loud. And over here is wisdom, lady wisdom, who is beautiful, but it's a different kind of beauty. Uh, it's more than just external, and she also is crying out, but her house, like, it leads to life, okay? And as we get to the end of the book, we'll see that wisdom embodied in the Proverbs 31 woman, okay? The other term that we want to look at is knowledge, okay? Also closely tied to wisdom. Um, it is simply knowledge is to know something, right? But in Proverbs, it's not just knowledge of random facts, Okay? It is a correct understanding of the world and oneself as creatures of the magnificent and loving God. Right, So you understand your place. You understand who you belong to, who the creator is. Uh, you, you understand yourself uh, in submission to, to the Lord. You can't have wisdom without knowledge. Right, You have to know things in order to be wise. That's why in chapter 1, uh, he says, if you don't have knowledge, you can't have wisdom. Uh, and then he also says in that passage in chapter one, uh, well, this is actually in chapter four, I believe it was, that the foundation of knowledge is fear of the Lord. Okay, so that's the last term that we need to define here is fear of the Lord. Uh, chapter one, verse seven, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then chapter nine, verse 10 says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In chapter 2, he says the fear of the Lord is the end goal of wisdom, understanding, and insight. In chapter 8, he says fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Chapter 14, he says confidence and life are found in the fear of the Lord. Uh, I jump ahead to chapter 23, the fear of the Lord is to be continued in. So fear of the Lord is an important foundational thing in which we are to live and walk in, find life in, continue to be pursuing so we define it this way. The fear of the Lord is not fright, but reverence for who the Lord is. Fearing God is seeing him rightly and desiring to obey him. And then again, Daniel Estes says, when we fear the Lord, we embrace what he desires and avoid what he disapproves. Right? It's, in many ways, to fear the Lord is to respond to him in obedience, right? To to worship him as God, to hear what he says, to heed it, to obey it, and to live it. So as we think about when we come to the Proverbs and, and the, the writer Solomon is saying these things, and for us, we receive this as the true word of God, we should heed this and seek to obey it and apply these, these truths to life. Uh, oh, actually, I had one more word. The last one is insight. And this is seen only in the first nine chapters, that word insight. But insight is the ability to make a wise decision amongst competing decisions, right? So you have multiple things to choose from. Which door do I walk through? Well, insight is the ability to choose the right and the best decision, okay? The same thing that the New Testament says discernment. Yeah, that'd probably be a good uh, comparison. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that'd be, yeah, that you're able to like hear and weigh things. Because th we think about discernment usually in the terms of like false teaching or something, right? You hear something being taught, and if you're familiar with the Word of God, you're able to weigh that teaching and go like, oh, that's not right, or that is right. That's, that's discernment. Insight would be very similar. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I wanted to note was reading the Proverbs. Um, certain books, like it's, I think it's helpful to talk about maybe the experience of reading them. And as I was reading through the Proverbs, I was reminded of this again. Uh, it's hard to sit down and just read the book like in one sitting, 
and gain anything from it, okay? The first nine chapters are, a, uh, as we'll see, there's a logical flow, I think, that's happening there. There's, uh, things are being built upon, themes are being drawn out. But after you get, starting in chapter 10, the Proverbs are just individual pithy statements. There's not necessarily any connectedness to them. Some people have tried to see some connection, but it's not there. Uh, and that, for me, is really difficult to read. And I think that the experience of reading Proverbs is to take one proverb, to read it, and to, to think on it, and to meditate on it, and to mull it over in your mind. Um, we'll see in chapter one, he talks about a proverb, and a riddle, and a saying, and things like that. They're meant to be like thought upon, and then thought about how this truth is applied in the world. Okay, So when you're, you know, if your Bible reading plan is having you read like five chapters of Proverbs a day or something like that, it might not be as beneficial as if you read, say, five Proverbs a day, right? And you read one and you think on it for a couple of minutes. You meditate on it. And then you read another one and you meditate upon that. That might be more a beneficial experience. Because even as I was surveying the book, again, to outline and all of that, I was just, <laughs> it's like, this is really challenging to like skim through because again, there's no connectedness. They're all individual sayings. All right. Okay. Let's walk through uh, kind of an outline of the book here and we'll spend most of our ch- time in the first nine chapters. Um, so chapter one, verses one through seven, let's read these because I think these are important verses. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay? So this passage serves as an introduction to the book, and then it has goals that the teacher wants to see accomplished in his pupils or his children, right? And I think that that's what's being laid out here. Um, the writer, Solomon, the, the sage, or we could call him the proverber, proverber, something like that, um, he is going to use these proverbs as a means of instruction, and he's really a good teacher, Right? A, a good teacher seeks to communicate the same truth, but in, an, in, in a way that is captivating and pulls you in and, and uh, ga- grasps your attention. Exactly, oftentimes the opposite of probably what I do. Okay? Uh, but the, the writer of Proverbs is going to use these short, pithy statements to communicate eternal truths and engage his students, okay? And I think we probably think of these first seven verses like as a syllabus, right? If you've taken like a college class, you know, you're given a syllabus, here's the goals that we're gonna accomplish this year. And I think that's kind of what he's doing, he's doing here. Okay, so the Proverbs of Solomon should move us and do to us these things, okay? First of all, it's to know wisdom and instruction. And I think that, that here is the overarching aim is that the, the student has the ability to discern what is wise, to know uh, what is instruction and how to receive those things, right? That's a big part of wisdom is to learn to receive instruction and correction. You know, uh, again, to go back to, to children, that's, they have to learn to receive correction, Okay? And so that's something that, that we need to, to do. We also need to understand that the book of Proverbs is trying to form a certain kind of person. 
right? We're all being formed into uh, a certain kind of person by the world. It says that you should be this way and live this way. The Bible and what we're doing as a church is saying something else. And the book of Proverbs is helping us form a virtuous kind of person that operates in the world in a certain way, in a way that fears the Lord. And so these students, as they're in chapter, in verse two, where they're knowing wisdom and instruction, they're learning, they're coming to realize that they don't have all the wisdom that they need. And so therefore they need that instruction, okay? Uh, He says also in verse two, to understand words of insight. Uh, So there should be a full, he wants a full comprehension of these insightful words that he's gonna give these students, and he says that the, another goal or one of the things that these Proverbs should do to us is to, re- is to help us receive instruction in wise dealings and righteousness, justice, and equity. And then finally, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Okay, so, so here is a proper way to function in the world to those who are simple or those who are young and don't know how to work. There's also a call found in these verses. So if you look at verse uh, five, here begins the call. If you want these things that he's just talked about, then you need to listen up. And so he says, let the wise hear and increase in learning, okay? So you're going to learn, you're gonna listen to wisdom and instruction from the teacher. You're going to receive and weigh insight and you're going to receive instruction and knowledge. So pay attention to what you're being taught is what he's saying. And then it goes on, and it, if you look it down at verse 6, as the pupil pays attention to their teachers, they're listening, as they're doing this, they, the gain that they have in understanding, learning, and obtaining guidance, I think it leads to this help so that you can understand a proverb, a saying, a word of the wise, and their riddle. So as we get chapter 10 on, all of these different proverbs, how do you read those? How do you understand them? Well, this is what the writer is going to help you to do, to gain the wisdom and the insight so that you can do those things. And it all begins with fearing the Lord. Verse 7, this is where it is, orienting your life around who God is, what he has said, and how he has revealed himself. And then on the opposite side is a fool. A fool is going to hear that and say, no, I don't need to fear the Lord. I don't need your instruction. Uh, I'm going to despise that, and I'm going to go my own way. Okay, And we will see the path of that. So chapter one through chapter nine, or starting in verse eight, all the way through chapter nine is then the prologue. And it is interesting. I kind of, um, I think that all of the, uh, the calls to the son, hear my son, I think that's kind of the way, that's the way that I uh, arranged my outline of it. I think that after each of those is kind of a main point that he's driving at. Uh, there does, there, I couldn't quite figure it out, but it seems like there could be maybe um, a repeated refrain that kind of follows in a cyclical pattern where he says the same, gives the same call to his son. Uh, it doesn't really change your interpretation, but I just find it interesting, okay? So the first one is found in verse eight. Hear your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching, okay? The point is found in verse 12. Avoid consenting to go along with sinners, Right? And he says the reason why uh, in verses 13 and 14, these sinners will come calling their messages appealing. Right? You're going to want to go along with them, but then look at verse 18 and 19. Here's their end. It's destruction. So main point number one, avoid these, these people. And then we get to our first personification of wisdom starting in verse 20. 
Lady Wisdom, she calls out. Uh, in verse 23, we see that she offers reproof and those who heed her reproof, who turn at it, they get life. Right? So, so again, a wise person is going to want to receive instruction, wants to receive reproof. And when they hear that, they go, I can't continue this way. Right? It's dangerous. So Lady Wisdom is calling out. Verse 30 and through 32, despising reproof from Lady Wisdom is deadly. And then also in verse 33, those who heed her keeps your kept safe from disaster. Then we get to chapter two. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Okay, so I've just put in your notes, bold the, the commands there. Receive, treasure, and the object of those, those verbs. Um, the main point is found in verse five. Find the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. Uh, you see in verses 9 through 21 then, what he's talking about is what the fear of the Lord does for you and what it delivers you from, okay? And it describes those things. And then you get to verse 22, and you see the end of those who reject the fear of the Lord, right? The wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. And then we get to chapter 3. My son, here's the command, do not forget what? my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. So in chapter three, the main point is this, the blessing of fearing the Lord and getting wisdom. And here he's saying the fearing the Lord leads to flourishing. It leads to life, um, vitality. He says, one who is walking in wisdom, we see in chapter three, verse two, he knows peace. Verse four, he knows favor from God and man. Verse six, he allows the Lord to direct his paths. Verse eight, there are physical benefits. Verse 10, there are material benefits. Verse 12, he will receive discipline. So when the discipline and correction comes, he's willing to receive it. This is a wise man. This is what walking in wisdom looks like. And then again, we have another personification. Lady Wisdom is calling out. Verses 14 and 16, uh, what the, the way that she offers, okay, because, and I didn't touch on this, but Proverbs talks about two ways primarily, like the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked, the way of the wise, the way of the fool, okay, two different paths. The way that she is offering is truly valuable, um, which is interesting if you, you contrast that in chapter 1, verses 11 through 14, they talk about uh, the fools there are calling, trying to entice the son, um, who want to, who, who are making, they're saying, let's go lie and wait and let's ambush this person. Uh, it's a quick, get rich quick scheme, right? We'll get gain and value. Well, here's the cry of wisdom. That's not actually gonna re- lead to riches. Follow the way of lady wisdom, right? She's leading to what is true, truly value, valuable. Uh, verses 19 through 20. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. So here, what Lady Wisdom is offering is what God has and what God used to create the world. He's going to do this again in chapter eight. Uh, So every time that Lady Wisdom is personified, it's this comes from God. This is how he functions as the wise one, okay? Okay. Verse 21 of chapter three, my son, do not lose sight of these. What things? Keep sound wisdom and discretion, okay? So he talks about here in verses 22 through 26, the preserving, saving element of wisdom. And then he also gives instructions starting verse 27 through the end of the chapter against treating others unfairly or violently. 
Chapter four, hear, O sons, a father's instruction. Be attentive that you may gain insight. Okay, here again, the, the point is pursue the path of wisdom, avoid the way of the wicked. Um, and it is interesting in this passage, <clears throat> uh, Solomon is, is giving this instruction to his sons and he's saying things like, I learned this from my father and I'm passing it down to you. And it struck me that, that what he's saying is there is a path of wisdom, a way of living that is tried and tested. And, and again, his responsibility is to pass that on, right? So it's not like each generation discovers new truth for itself. I mean, that's what, that's what every generation thinks, right? Like, oh, I found something new, right? Well, no, not really. There is a way of wisdom. There is a way of, of truth. Uh, these things are, uh, it comes from God, but then it's also experienced and lived out in the world. And so Solomon is teaching his sons that. Uh, chapter four, verse 10 Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. Okay, again, the the main point in this next 10 verses is avoid the path of the wicked and walk in the paths of the righteous. righteous. Um, Chapter four, verse 20, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Notice again, all these calls, what I'm saying is right. It's helpful for you. Um, in chapter four, verse 20, and then the continuing through the end of the passage, the main point is that the heart is where these instructions are to be obeyed and that the heart directs your feet, right? So he'll say like, um, verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the springs of life. Well, Jesus brings this out as well, right? When he, in, in the gospels, when he's talking about that, that where does these sins come from? Well, they come from within you, from your, from your heart, okay? Chapter five, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, okay? The main point in chapter five is the destructive ends of the adulterous woman. Don't go that way. It leads to disaster, Verse seven, now, O sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Okay, again, here, the main point, keep your way away from the adulterous woman. Verse eight, drink water from your own cistern. Verse 16, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. So there is uh, a call here uh, more than just the short, I don't mean this in a, the short-term damages of pursuing the adulterous woman, but ultimately who sees everything you do? It's the Lord, right? And so enjoy the wife of your youth. Drink water from your own cistern. Don't be drinking from other cisterns. Now we all understand what he is saying there. Um, verses 11 through 12, notice that the one who departs from the words of the, of, of the father's mouth, they despise reproof. Okay, again, that's the fool. They hear a reproof like, hey, uh, don't go down to the adulterous woman. They're like, right? That's a fool. They don't, they don't take that, that reproof or that correction. Chapter six, I just, he, he says, my son, if you have done this, and he talks about putting up security for a stranger, um, making a pledge, he says, then do this. And the point is get out of it. And I think in verse six, it is the haste, or chapter six, the point is the haste needed to get out of being indebted to another or being the surety for your neighbor or for a stranger. Don't go down this path is what he's saying. There's, there's a danger that is there. Verse 20, my son, keep your father's teaching and forsake not your mother's teaching, okay? 
Uh, the main point here, you see it in verse 23, the teaching commandments and reproofs keep you from adultery. Um, you know, there, there is, um, again, going back to just child rearing, the point of discipline and reproof is that it doesn't lead to further damage, right? Um, I read an article from John Piper a number of years ago that it was really uh, helpful, and it was entitled, uh, Parents Demand Obedience from Your Children. And he used the illustration of a young boy that was a child that was shot by a police officer because he had a toy gun, and he wouldn't obey the police officer's commands to put it down. He didn't know that it wasn't a real gun type of deal. And ultimately, and he said, we don't know what happened in this situation, but the fact that a young child wouldn't heed the reproof from a police officer means that his parents had never demanded obedience from him, right? So there is something to be said that when, that, that heeding, that those who never learn to heed reproof as they get older, right, that's just going to grow, so there's, there is something to be said to the importance of heeding the reproofs. That's what verse 23 is talking about. Verse uh, 27 of chapter 6, the reproofs are for when you start down the path of folly and you, get, you begin to get burned, right? So he's talking about uh, holding fire near the chest, right? So it's like you're starting down this path. Here comes the reproof. Don't do that. That leads to destruction, right? Uh, Cohen, unplug the saw. That's going to cut your hand off. That's a reproof, right? There's, there's greater damage if you don't stop what you're doing right now, okay? Uh, in verse 32, the reproof comes in and it keeps you from being destroyed, okay? So these are moral and physical reproofs sometimes as well. Chapter 7, verse 1, my son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you, okay? Again, the main point, to keep you from the forbidden woman, found in chapter 7, verse 15. Uh, we see here the fool described in verses 7 through 9. He is um, not watching out for the pitfalls that leads to destruction. So he's described as the young man who's just walking along innocently. Uh, you know, what does he say? I've seen the young... Uh, I have seen among the simple and I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight in the evening at the time of night and darkness, right? He's not even, he, he's a fool. He's not aware there's these pit, pitfalls, these traps. And so he's just walking by them, right? He's, he's, he's not heeded reproof, not received correction. Um, and then we see, if you start in verse 10 and you go all the way through verse 23 of chapter 7, that Madam Folly, here she comes, she's persuasive, right? So here she is, she's loud, she's, uh, she's attractive, um, she, she even uh, uh, has uh, good messaging, right? So she says things like, my husband is away, I've offered sacrifices today. It's kind of like, it's okay. And that is a seductive call, Right? Sin is always that way, that you can get away with this. Well, the, 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 the writer of Proverbs, our responsibility in parting wisdom is to say it is seductive. But as he says at the end, verse 27, her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. You can't see all the way through it. On the outside, it looks good, but it is a way that leads to death. Arrows will pierce your liver. Liver, exactly. Uh, verse 24, the main uh, point there, I think. And now, O sons, 
Oh, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth, okay? Uh, and then we see in chapter eight and nine, Lady Wisdom is calling out. And she is calling out, but it's quite different than Madam Folly, right? Um, and just in case you're wondering where we're at, we're only at chapter eight. The last parts we're gonna breeze through because we're not gonna go through in detail all the individual Proverbs, okay? So we're, we're getting close to being done, even though we're only in chapter eight, okay? She calls out, but quite differently, um, you can read that, verses 1 through 11. The, the main point is, I, I think this is the main point. I put a question mark in my notes because I'm like, I don't know if I'd say that is or not. But I'd say it's this. The importance of wisdom to do great things. Right? You want to actually accomplish things? You want to be a good king or whatever? You need wisdom in order to do that. So he says things in verse 15. By me, king, by wisdom, kings reign. Princes rule. Um, wisdom loves those who love her and seek her. Right? True riches are found with her. Verse 22, the greatest reason to get wisdom is that wisdom is with God. Verse 27, with wisdom, God created the world. Okay, Again, uh, you want wisdom because that's who God is. This is where it comes from. Okay, Verse 32, and now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. And then chapter 9 closes again with the woman folly, the lady falling, folly or madam folly calling out again to these sons. Okay, so that's the, the first nine chapters. And I would summarize them this way because I think that um, these, these chapters are introductory to everything else. This is setting the stage so that you receive each of these individual proverbs the right way, okay? Um, in essence, if you're not convinced after these chapters that the way of wisdom is the right way, and the way of folly is the wrong way, you're, you're kind of in big trouble, okay? Um, so after chapters one through nine, I think the reader should know this. First of all, I need wisdom to understand a problem and a riddle. And I think when he says in verse six, right, that the instruction is gonna help you uh, understand a saying, a proverb, a riddle, okay? Well, that's what's coming up next. I need, I need some wisdom to understand that, okay? Secondly, you should know the necessity of fearing the Lord, right? Uh, as, as Lady Folly is called out in chapter three and in chapter eight, where does wisdom come from? It comes from God, right? You need to fear the Lord. You need to worship him rightly in order to uh, have wisdom. Secondly, there's two paths to follow and one leads to life and one leads to destruction. And as we look at uh, Lady Wisdom and Madam Folly, both of them are describing different paths. One leads to life and one leads to shale, Okay. Fourthly, there's a way of truth and wisdom that has been learned and passed down and should be heeded. Okay. Uh, this is that as my father taught me, I'm teaching you, right? And I'm, and these aren't, this is, we're not relearning everything about living in the world rightly. No, there's a way of truth that has been learned and passed down and needs to be obeyed. And also this kind of wisdom needs to be taught. You're not just going to stumble into it. Right, it needs to be learned. Fifthly, there are some major red flags that must be avoided if one wishes to be a wise and avoid the way of folly. First of all, the enticement of sinners. We saw that in chapter one, right? Where they're saying, hey, come, come lie with us and let us wait for blood, right? Avoid those people. The forbidden woman or sexual immorality, right? What's gonna lead to destruction, grief and pain and suffering? Sexual immorality. Uh, thirdly, the rejection of parents' instruction. So if you're hearing this instruction from Solomon and you're saying, no, I don't need it. You're a fool. Uh, that, that is a sure way uh, to go the way of folly. And then 
Fourthly, I think we talked about in verse seven or ver- chapter six, becoming indebted to someone. Uh, there's a real danger there. Uh, this becoming indebted or putting up security for someone else uh, is, is not a wise thing to do. And then finally, the last thing they need to know, point six, is the way of wisdom is God's way. It is how God operates and it leads to life and flourishing. Okay? So that's the first nine chapters and the rest will just breeze through. Um, chapters 10 through 26 are called the, the Proverbs of Solomon. Uh, and these chapters seem to describe the outworking of wisdom and folly. Okay? Um, so if you have these two ways kind of de- defined and you see their paths uh, in the first nine chapters, well, these, these next chapters seem to show what life looks like generally for, the way of, for those who walk in wisdom and those who walk in folly. Okay? Um, chapter 10 and on is calling us to uh, move beyond just heeding that call to wisdom, but to now living as a wise person, right? And here's some ways that you can, you can practically do that. Uh, these are the, this portion of the book, chapter 10 and on, is the general Proverbs, right? So the catchy statements of general truth. Um, it's pro, uh, dominated predominantly by two-line parallelism, right? Comparing and contrasting things through restatement or develops, development. So if you think about all the, uh, many of these statements, you'll have this statement and, or but, or for, or uh, like, than, etc. right? So Proverbs fifteen eighteen, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention, right? So there's a comparison and a contrast. Uh, Proverbs sixteen twelve. It is an abomination to kings to do evil, for the throne is established by righteousness. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Uh, 16, 24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Okay? Um, in these Proverbs, you see main, main themes, wisdom and fear of the Lord, the way of the wise versus the fool, uh, the way of the righteous versus the way of the wicked. There are proverbs about speech and our tongues, many about that. Uh, parenting, how to receive correction and instruction and reproof. Work, laziness versus diligence and the fruits thereof. Uh, sex, the joys of marriage, the sorrows and fleeting pleasure of adultery, money and wealth, and then also the heart. Okay, so those are just themes that you'll see brought out in these various Proverbs. Then you jump ahead to chapter 22, and you see the starting verse 17 going all the way through chapter 24, the sayings of the wise. So first of all, it says in chapter 22, these are 30 sayings of the wise, and you can go and you can, you can find them all numbered in there. Um, and then in 24, 30, 23, you have another, uh, these also are the sayings of the wise. And again, these are just Proverbs. These are a little bit longer in form, uh, where the others are like the two-line parallelism. Some of these are a little bit expanded. <clears throat> and then we get in chapter 25, the Proverbs that are compiled by the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Uh, you remember Hezekiah was a really good and a godly king. And one of the things, if you go all the way back to Deuteronomy 17, one of the things that a king in Israel was to do was to be a diligent student of the Torah and was to make a copy of it and to keep it with them, right? And so 
by transcribing these proverbs, by Hezekiah is a wise man, right? He is he is uh, surrounding himself with the word of God. Chapters twenty five through twenty nine are uh, essentially focusing on kings, their followers, and fools who disrupt the community, right? So this is, um, you know, if you think about Solomon's sons, right? Well, they're all royalty, right? So they need to understand how to function. Uh, in in this context. God's wisdom is needed to rule well, follow well, and participate participate in community life well. Okay? Chapter 30 is the words of Agur, or Agur, however you would say it. And in short, the words of Agur in chapter 30 show the need for humble dependence on God. Um, we don't know who Agur was, Agur, Agur, however you say that. Uh, But if you look at these things, verses 2 through 3, the humility of man is displayed. Verse 4, the majesty of God is extolled. Verses 5 and 6, this is wonderful. Verse 5, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Right, The surety of God's word is proclaimed in this chapter. Um, And then we see like starting in verse 11 uh, through 13, or actually 11 through the end of the chapter, there are observations made about the world, the created order, about people. Um, questions are asked about it. And then you see at the end, it's verse 32, silence is necessary for those who have exalted themselves, right? So this is like the fool learning wisdom. I've exalted myself. I need to be silent. This is kind of like Job, right? Uh, when the Lord comes in and, and he realizes like, I repent in dust and ashes. I'm going to shut up now. All right, I've spoken of things that I did not understand. And then we get to the end, chapter 31, uh, probably one of the more familiar passages uh, in, our, in our Bibles. It's the words of King Lemuel, obviously not an uh, Israelite king. Um, and the words of Lemuel in chapter 31 show the wisdom in listening and heeding the voice of wise people. Okay, so first of all, you'll see in verses 1 through 9, this recitation of uh, a wise mother's counsel to her son, right? And that, the, that Lemuel heeds that. And then we see in verse 10 through 31, what we often call the Proverbs 31 woman. Um, I don't have time for a story. I'll tell you afterwards. Uh, chapters 1 through 9, right? Wisdom was um, personified as a woman. Now it's embodied in a woman, is what we're being shown here in, in the end of this. Um, these descriptions here show wisdom being lived out, but are also clearly contrasted with Madame Folly earlier in the book, right? Here is what uh, uh, wisdom truly looks like. This life is lived in the fear of God and according to wisdom brings great blessing, not only to the woman, but we'll see like in verse 23, to the man that she's married to, right? There's blessing for being surrounded by wise people, okay? Um, It is interesting though to think about who wrote this. Well, no, who didn't write this, but who wrote the book of Proverbs primarily, Solomon. What was his problem? <laughs> what led to his demise? Too many women, right? His, his foreign wives led his heart away from the Lord. That's, you know, that's the kind of the eulogy on him. Uh, and so it's kind of ironic, right, that the book ends in this way. One thing though, I found really interesting, and I put this translation in your, in your Bible. When we study chapter 31, we, this is the I- ideal, like every young man 
like, you know, very earnest. And I want the Proverbs 31 woman in Bible college. You're like, this is, this is my list. She doesn't meet this, you know, like, well, who are you, you buffoon, right? You know, thinking like that. Um, and we view this as the model wife and mother, you know, so Jenna and I make jokes. I make jokes like, ah, oh, you're building your ship and sailing it and you're doing things like that. Uh, but what if these verbs should actually probably be translated as past tense rather than present tense? Okay, uh, there's a really good case that's made by that from Jason DeRucci, showing these verbs should be translated past tense rather than present tense. So the idea then is that Proverbs 31, 10 through 31 is not describing the immediate context where the excellent wife is doing all of these things now, but rather that her family at the end of her life stands up, calls her blessed and says, she's lived a life of faithfulness, right? And over the the course of her life, she's done all of these things at various times, not all at once where she's, you know, being an entrepreneur and providing for her house and doing all of these things, because in that way, it almost makes this list like unattainable, but rather the way of wisdom, living in wisdom, you can look back over your life and be like, this has all happened. This is a wise and godly woman. So her children, verse 28 and 29, her husband are praising her in her faithfulness, okay? Brian Webster talks about the significance of this tense change when he says the behaviors are typical, not constant and simultaneous. We are reading about a lifetime, of a, a lifetime achievement recognition, not her daily planner. The shift away from present tense translation removes possible overtones of workaholism and adds the quality of persevering faithfulness. She's still an ideal, she has demonstrated that beauty is vain by having lived out what is important. She fears God, speaks with wisdom, is industrious, valuable, valiant. But she is perhaps a bit more human, a bit more possible to imitate. Right? So I think that that's actually uh, a really helpful understanding of this passage. When you think about like, I want to exercise those characteristics over the whole of my life. Okay? So that's Proverbs uh, ending right there. Uh, one other passage, if you just think about in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 1, um, if we think about the, the beginning place of wisdom is with God. Well, where does wisdom, how is wisdom ultimately revealed? It's revealed in Christ, right? So Paul says this, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, right? So where do we get wisdom? Ultimately, it's in the person of Christ, okay? And that's where we will end with the book of Proverbs tonight.